0: Hello, everybody. This is Two Guys, Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasperi.
1: This is Frank Pelican.
0: You are listening to episode 102, and it is the top five horror movies in 1991, continuing our look at 90s horror throughout the rest of the year. Um, Frank, how do you feel about the list this week?
1: Good list. Um, I think it's five good movies. Mm-hmm. Um, all five that I have a pretty pretty fond um I don't know, like nostalgic affection for, but I think they're all like five, still like pretty watchable movies today. I'm
0: having a hard time remembering <clears throat> in the '80s if you had a list where I liked all five movies or not. I, I think, would say no. I think there was one, but uh, but I but I can't say that for certain. But so this is might be the first time. Uh, yeah, there's five movies that I actually
1: liked all of them to one degree or another in the horror list But you liked all five in the 90 horror list did i i thought so could be
0: wrong i don't know okay i might have just not voiced my dissent as much because you know i pick and choose sometimes on what i and yeah I liked all these movies. Sometimes I'm in, indifferent, I guess you could say, to some of these movies, and I don't feel like saying bad things about them, even if they exist. But I don't dislike them. So um, this this is really interesting. So, there's, so there was one movie I know that you thought about putting on this list, and really was more of a technical issue of finding the movie correct. Um, which what was that? Uh, the Heroku the Goblin? *Hiroku* the
1: Goblin, yeah. So I didn't know if Um, you
0: wanted to talk about that at all.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's been a million years since I've seen it. I don't really know how much to say. Kind of similar in tone to um, like like Tetsuo the Iron Man, maybe. Um, It's the whole 90s Japanese body horror uh, aesthetic thing. Um, I mean, it's a good movie, but I think that the five that we ended up going with are are all, like, um, subjectively better or objectively better movies. So I don't feel so bad about it. There's another one from this year, uh, 964 Pinocchio, which is another just really uncomfortable, like, Tetsuo-esque Japanese body horror that I thought about doing. Um, But it's a movie that, like, I think it's got some pretty, like, interesting visual Uh, elements to it but I don't know that I like it all that much um and then there's just some other stuff that's like sort of okay from this year that I kind of like was like well maybe I'll put that on there but ultimately I think the five that we went with are um are the best five
0: well here's what I find I, I find all these movies besides liking them I find them all interesting in different ways um which We'll talk about, but I also find, I, I mean, I find these podcasts interesting because I know that you know horror really well and I know you know the history and you like grew up reading like all of the different mags and like, you know, you, uh, so you know the genre really well. So I'm really fascinated. I know I brought this up like last month, but I'm fascinated by like, you know, like how horror transitions away from what was going on in the 80s and in the 90s and it feels like we're in this kind of gray area before horror changes again at some point in the 90s and part of that is like all five of the movies you have in your list are not sequels but the number of sequels that get released horror sequels in 1981 is outrageous Um, the number of them. So you have 976 Evil 2, Child's Play 3, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, Howling 4, The Omen 4, Puppet Master 2 and 3, Scanners 2, Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, Trancers 2, Witchcraft 3, like are all released in this year. Um, So what's going on both from a financial, I guess, perspective and just... I guess a creative perspective or the lack of creativity, I guess uh, during this time period, that's like call like what's going on, like where the, all these sequels were being released. And then there's these other people out here making movies like what you have on your list this week.
1: Well, part of it is full moon video <laughs> is um, like in its heyday. So that's uh, transfers to the two puppet master movies. There's um, another one on this list the list you just named it's a full moon video Um, uh no scanners is somebody else i think um it's just you know it's easy to make a sequel you have these um production companies that are uh trying to turn a quick buck and you can you know make a horror movie for cheap and put it out on vhs at this point and Pretty much be guaranteed to make your money back and not even necessarily need like a like a large theatrical release um and really like the theater industry is just starting to recover at this point from like the downfall of the late 80s and the you know the transition to the multiplex um but it's easy to you know take an idea that kind of just writes itself i mean like the omen stuff you know is it's easy to the post whatever the apocalypse um rise of satan whatever shit i don't I don't know if i've ever even seen Nomen 4 um transfers 2 is actually a pretty decent movie like the transfer series is is okay um the rest of them are just whatever you also have a couple of you have a remake in this year because cape fear happened in this year hmm. a couple of literary train or um adaptations because you have silence of the lambs this year um there's some really just like bloated like body parts came out this year you know so you see jeff fahey starring um just kind of banal like horror thriller um i don't know you know I mean, again i think that there's a lot of
0: so a lot of these movies then what you're saying is are a lot of them just straight to video
1: i believe so i don't
0: so the financial then incentive is really the video stores buying these things for a hundred dollars a pop, like a few copies all over the country and then trying to make their money back
1: through there, I guess. Yeah. I mean, cause you know, you have like, again, like full moon video wasn't just selling to um, the video rental stores. Full moon would have their VHS tapes within a couple months of, you know, having it out in the video store. They'd have them in, The shelves of like big box stores so you'd be able to go into kmart or ames and pick up you know bloodstone or Mm -hmm. um the puppet master dangerous toys whatever like all the um all the full moon castle freak is another one that just was just readily available that you could just go and buy so full moon was making their money back probably like they were i'm sure relatively profitable at that point. Um we're gonna talk about a full moon video release uh in this list. You know, I mean they use limited sets. They kind of invest most of their money in the the practical visual effects and they have a couple of things that you can kind of, you know, are memorable about each of them. Like the the puppets and puppet master or the the vampires and subspecies or um you know like the toys and dangerous toys. I mean they always have something. Jack Death and Trancers it Transfers, I, I I think you would actually like those two movies, Transfers one and two, yeah. so um because they have kind of a noirish element to them, even though they're like sci fi horror, like they they try and kind of have like a firm like noir tie to them, and I don't know, I mean it's just you know it's easy to put that stuff out and make money off of it, and easy to you know put out a killer Santa Claus movie or some loosely linked like witchcraft movie and mm-hmm. get your money pretty fast so
0: that's interesting that you brought up a couple of those remakes adaptations so do you count do you count cape fear
1: and the silence of the lambs in the horror genre uh no they're thrillers to me Mm -hmm. but um i think in like the broad scope i think they're kind of Horror I
0: mean really what
1: is what is Cape fear but a you know a, a serial like a stalking serial killer type mm-hmm. movie and same thing with Silence of the Lambs I mean there's some pretty horrific stuff in there
0: so well, what what makes right the, the the stalker or the serial killer what what in your mind tr- transition like or what what makes it horror or thriller to you just out of curiosity
1: um It's a hard question to answer because there's a movie on this list that I think Mm -hmm. falls into thriller in the same aspect that this falls into thriller, but it's also much more, I don't know. I mean, I guess that there really is no difference. Um, Usually I would say that the horror has to have some small measure of a supernatural element to it, or it needs to be like,
0: ultra bloody or yeah
1: like like super gory mm-hmm. um so maybe that's kind of the difference because it's not like like cape fear is much more you know his performance his performance in that movie and the psychological horror of it um science of the lambs has some bloody stuff in it but again it's yeah <clears throat> i mean that's probably the closest thing that i would say to horror just because of <clears throat> how iconic um Lecter is as a as a horror movie villain um, especially for our childhoods you know like he was yeah. like gen like genuinely one of the i mean he's still probably considered one of the most iconic like horror movie villains of all time sure. um, but that movie is also much just as much of a crime procedural as right. it is you know and yeah. there's other movies i'm trying to think of another good like like the prowler is a good example mm-hmm. um that has no supernatural element to it and but it's got like the the weird like I don't know taboo connection to the killing in the past and mm-hmm. I mean there's just certain tropes with like slasher movies that you know the killer is getting revenge for some past wrong or whatever and that's not necessarily the case in Silence of the Lambs it's like more of a straightforward serial killer um like procedural movie with just some um really well known performances, I guess. Yeah. I'm pretty no, I mean I I I can
0: something. I can see that uh Silence of the Lambs, like yeah, that that's a that's like a crime thriller that happens to have a serial killer, you know, or multiple serial killers in it. Um so yeah, I, I I get that. Cave Fear was the one that was like I was trying to think of what the distinction is, but like you said, it's I think it's more psychological than it is about the stalking the stalking is is there but it's more about the psychological impact that it takes on the family
1: um it's like i wouldn't consider um dead calm a horror movie right and i i i look at dead calm and cape fear as being Mm -hmm. like very i don't know very similar very like connected movies in a lot of ways just in terms of the fact that it's you know like one person who's a psychopath kind of like terrorizing a family or an individual or whatever, and um, I don't know. That's it's 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 not really like a clear distinction. I guess it's just like the old porn adage is like, I can't define it, but I know right. it when I see it, right? Yeah, so, good old good old Reagan era, and I honestly reference. think I, I, well, you're gonna be more of them. Um, <laughs> I really think you could put a I mean, you, you you like we could have put Cape Fear on this list, and I think it would have been an acceptable movie to have on this list. Yeah, you know, we could have had Silence of the Lambs on here, and it would have been acceptable. Right. It's just that I Cape Fear um to me is more like if someday we have some list where we can talk about Night of the Hunter and Cape Fear and mm-hmm. um some other ones, you know, they're kind of right. falling uh, like The Lodger maybe or I don't know, like some other like Hitchcock maybe psycho, like the original psycho, mm-hmm. you know, we, we could like talk about that. And I think that's much more of like the psychological, um, manipulative, I don't know, like dark figure, like entering people's lives type mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. I gotcha. All right. Well, all that kind of maybe serves- may- oh. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the thing is that the killer has to be, somewhat like believable or relatable maybe like there has to be like a a true feeling of i don't know um believability or like it has to be like so grounded in reality that it doesn't feel like fanciful maybe or something i don't know maybe that's the difference between horror and thriller Hmm. thrillers feel like they could happen horror feels like you don't believe it could happen but that's what makes it so horrific is that you're watching it happen kind of thing right
0: which is the way that you could put right which is why this could be on this list but kate fair couldn't um yeah uh because there's one aspect of this you know in the title of it um that makes it almost maybe too unbelievable um even though those things have happened before in real life but um So let's just go into that, because all this kind of serves as, I think, a pretty good preface for the number five movie on your list, um, which is Hider in the House, directed by Matthew Patrick. Stars Gary Busey, Mimi Rogers, and Michael McKean. Uh, There is no critical rating of uh, consensus available on Rotten Tomatoes. It has a 46% from audiences. Uh, You want to tell us a little bit about this movie and why you put it on the list?
1: Uh, So... Gary Boosie plays a psychiatric patient who's recently been released from, um, I guess, an an asylum. Um, What would you say? Like some sort of like borderline agoraphobia maybe or something. I can't remember. Like how they pseudo-diagnose him. Um, Yeah. Finds this house that's being built and basically insinuates himself not even insinuates himself just kind of like moves his way in like kind of pretending to be part of the crew and then builds himself his own little private hideaway in the attic of the house um that he like like creates a fake wall and a fake ventilation um duct or whatever and he lives there and he kind of through his psychosis um and there's some commentary there about like, you know, us kind of abandoning the mentally ill, like when they actually need help just because of bureaucracy or whatever. But um, decides that he wants this life, like with this family, like with the kids and the, the mother, like he sort of, I think, falls in love with um, Mimi Rogers, who plays the mom as like a mom figure at first and then kind of gets a, I don't know, like a. Like almost like a childlike sexual fixation on her, mm-hmm. um, and fucking kills their dog, um, kills a couple of people who have kind of like, um, what it's an exterminator, and I can't remember what the second one is. Her, be- like, her
0: her best friend
1: in the right, neighborhood. Right. Yeah, who's kind of like found him out, um, while insinuating himself into the oldest son's life is like a. Like a mentor because the son's getting bullied because they just moved into this suburban neighborhood from the city or whatever. Um, Michael McKean plays the father, um, who Gary Busey like orchestrates Mimi Rogers catching him in an affair, so he gets kicked out. So now Gary Busey can be like the man of the house, but um, creepy next door neighbor uh, doesn't really trust Gary Busey. Um, And in the end, Mimi Rogers doesn't either, so then um, Sykes goes crazy and um, basically tries to kill her. Michael McKean comes back, and he gets injured, um, where she ends up like shooting Tom, and then the police come and kill him in the end. So it's, I mean, in a lot of ways, like, it's just from the plot of the movie, it's I wouldn't say formulaic because I don't know that there's that many movies that are this particular idea. Um, definitely a lot of movies that are about like the, um, you know, like he knows you're alone or black Christmas or whatever, where right. it's like the killer is like in the house with you. Um, like kind of like living. I mean, there's like tons of horror movies that, that follow that trope, but there's not really many that, are as focused on the humanity or not, not not even humanity, but like the, yeah, I guess maybe humanity is the right word. Just the, the, the personal investment in the antagonist as like the central character of the movie. And it's not just like, he's crazy. It's like, he's crazy, but here's why he's crazy. Mm -hmm. And maybe if he had gotten the right help, this wouldn't have happened kind of thing. Yep. Which doesn't make him any less crazy, sure. but it makes him a more like well-rounded and almost like relatable antagonist. Mm-hmm. To the point where at, at times he's not even an antagonist. He's just right. It's just sad, you know. It, like yeah. That, yep. Um, right. he's not really an antagonist until like it all starts to fall apart on him, and then he's trying to like kind of like pull the strings, so to speak, to like maintain this illusion, and he can't. And yeah. that's when he sort of becomes psychotic, but also implied that again if he would have like stayed with his doctor and and he even i think acknowledges that pretty early on that like he doesn't feel like he's ready to take care of like a psychiatrist and he feels like he still needs the help and you know they sort of like have to abandon him because of whatever like funding and yep. space and whatever um pretty surprising performance from uh, from gary busey here like it's funny to go back and watch him in the time before he was just kind of a punchline, really. Sure.
0: Well, um, you, I don't know if you know this, but it's f- fascinating to me. All of, all three of these people's careers are fascinating to me around this film, like what happens around it. But you see this is the last movie that he does before the motorcycle accident. Hmm. So this is it. Actually, the motorcycle accident happened f- five days after the principal photography finished on the movie. Really? That, like brain damaged him and made him what we kind of think of him as now. Yeah so this was his last acting performance before that
1: Uh, yeah sorry to your point like yeah i mean yeah it's pretty crazy um so yeah so i mean the the performances are really good i mean obviously uh, michael mckean is a like a pretty like well respected actor right now, Mimi Rogers. I don't know, respected, but she's definitely somebody that's got like a really large filmography and has had some good roles. And what a way to say it, yeah. So, let's just sneak this on old Mimi. What's 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 anyway. no, I know it's just. Uh... I just knew exactly
0: what you were saying. There it was just a you know a, a, a kind of a equivocation, a little bit.
1: <laughs> I right, she, She's she's fresh off her Tom Cruise divorce, right? Probably wasn't a no, good. No, no, uh,
0: no. Actually, she's she's with Cruise at this point. Is she? Yeah. Well, you have to think. I don't know if you know this. Like, this movie was filmed in '89, or sorry, filmed in '88, I think, and then it's released for like five days theatrically to honor a contract but really doesn't get a wide release whatsoever it's like this very small release for five days to honor a contract and then this movie doesn't see the light of day until i think a uk release and then it gets released on video in 91 which is why it's title 91 is because that's when it was like widely released even though it was filmed in like 1988 or something like that so technically during this time, she had just gotten married to Cruz like right around the time of this filming and the initial kind of release or finishing of it. But yeah, she's already done with Cruz um, by the time it actually gets released on video.
1: It wasn't a good enough vessel for his Thetans. <laughs> that's, um, sadly, that's pretty true with what the, what the real thing was. Yeah. So anyway, so it's, it's, it's a pretty well filmed movie. I mean, yeah. it, and at times I think it kind of has a movie of the week feel to it. Um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it really is just like the soft focus and the honestly, like the very limited locations, even though they, they're they not just in the one place, like they do have other like sets and locations they use. Like it just kind of feels like that, like something you would have watched on Saturday night or whatever. Um but yeah, like Boosie's really good in it. And um one of the more surprising performances from him, I think. I agree. Um, no idea why I would have rented this movie in the early 90s because I was looking at the VHS cover of it, and it's terrible. Like, I don't mm-hmm. even its this cover. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's, it's actually kind of goofy because it's just his, like, almost disembodied head, like, floating in a window looking at a sleeping Mimi Rogers. Right. Um, yeah. It feels, yeah like, I mean, like,
0: it feels like an ADT, ADT ad. Um, it really it does. Like. Yeah
1: he's home even when you're not right <laughs> right um truly though like it's it it's it's probably one of the more gentle and um open open-eyed looks at whatever you want to call it, like um dissociative disorder or schizophrenia or whatever mm-hmm. the fuck he has um that i've ever seen especially in like a low budget horror movie that they would take that time to sort of make sure that his character was believable and human and you know relatable and pitiable at times and still like almost like i don't know like the ending to king kong you know where it's like Mm -hmm. it's it's society that failed you know the beast and not whatever the other way around but it it's a good movie. It was enjoyable. Like I was, I was happy to watch it again.
0: Yeah. I had never heard this movie before and never seen it. Um, you know, offline, like how I feel about this. I I've really enjoyed this movie a lot. I thought that it was solid performances all the way around. I understand what you're saying about the TV movie aspect. And I think you just said it, it really is the focus. Remember how I told you like a, a, half a year ago, how early 90s horror bothers me sometimes when I watch it because it's everything's too yeah. bright and stuff like that. Actually, I think the focus is a part of that too. Um, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Like everything feels really bright, at least in the house anyway here. I think the exterior shots are filmed pretty well. Um, and I also thought that there was some times, even though the space is so small, that the director chose some interesting camera angles to shoot things at. He goes handheld a couple times when things are chaotic. Which I thought was like interesting and added like a, something different to such, which is such a common movie, really. I mean, but that's the thing that I found most impressive is even though this is such a common story, to one aspect or another, hand that rocks the cradle, like the the person who's insinuating themselves, even you know Pacific implicit- sure, yeah. Um, I thought this was one of the better ones of that. And I was really impressed, like you said, by the way that they handled the mental illness, especially in 1991 or 89 or whatever. Um, I thought that was really impressive. And yeah, I really love Busey's performance and I really love Michael McKean in this. And McKean, I find interesting in this movie because, you know, he has his breakthrough and liver and Shirley, but then he has what spinal tap right is he in that he's a yeah. small he's a, oh yeah, my god my wish no. is
1: cracked like yeah
0: yeah um but yes uh yeah right yeah so he's in spinal tap and then everything kind of he's always on snl for a little bit too um toward was with, with some really good characters where he actually does gary Busey um in the early 90s around this time um uh on snl but i forgot all about that till just now it does a really good Busey, but he um but he's a comedy actor and he's like in the what like airheads and coneheads and every like kind of bland comedy like uh throughout the early 90s uh and except for the christopher guest stuff he doesn't really find himself as a drama dramatic actor like this here until um better call Saul where Hmm. he gives I think maybe like right there with Odenkirk is the best performance on the entire show um because that character is amazing so I find it really interesting that it's like you see this like little nugget of what Michael McKean can be as a dramatic actor here um because he nails the sleaziness of this role really well um and I think he's the strongest, maybe the strongest actor in the show or in this movie, honestly, um, even though Busey's really good in that role. Uh, but yeah, I really liked that they took like a kind of a sympathetic look at this character um, and kind of acknowledged that this is just the way mental illness is. And this is why people need help. And this is the right. results of that. Do you know about the other ending of this movie? uh uh-uh. It was actually a much more, it was even a more sympathetic look at this character. <clears throat> um, he actually realizes, he tries to burn the house down, um, and realizes when he lights the house on fire, and they're all like, you know, the family's panicked and everything, he realizes that he's repeating the cycle that, you know, was done to him as a child, and actually saves all of them and gets them out of the house and lets and realizes that he's so mentally, he's so sick that like he can't be helped and just allows himself to be burned up in the house. Um, so he actually kind of redeems himself in the end. Um, but the studio said like, no, we can't do that. We want you know him to really lose it and become completely evil and try to kill the family. And so they ended up going with that ending um instead but apparently the director did say that the studio came back to him years later the one the guy that was the head of studio and said that he thinks in hindsight that probably should have been the ending was the redemptive ending um as opposed to this one which would make it a totally different movie
1: yeah i actually really like that ending more i think yeah i I don't don't even know know. i I don't know if it's a horror movie right, right at that point right like, I think then that truly is just like a psychological thriller slash drama mm-hmm. as yeah. opposed to, I mean, cause in, in the end he becomes, you know, whatever you want to call it, like the stereotypical, not, not, not even stereotypical, but like, he's a lot closer to being like the, like the traditional slasher type villain, as opposed to, you know, even though he's more nuanced and you like, you kind of like get who he is and where he's coming from. Um, like they put him down, like you would put down the 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 typical villain. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know. I I like that ending where he saves everybody.
0: Yeah. No. I I thought it could have been a much. It could have been an even a more interesting movie. I think, but um, yeah. But no, I really enjoyed this movie. I mean, look, it's not. greatest fucking movie in the world but i mean like it has problems with it but for this genre i really liked it um i thought it was i thought it was a strong showing for that genre that can be pretty dull sometimes um you know mimi rogers she's not a part of scientology anymore um
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah. uh, yeah 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 you know that um he, you you know about like you know like that you're exactly correct about like almost like the vessel thing like that what's his name miss savage or whatever like the head of scientology um oh yeah yeah uh what david the or whatever like um he miss, uh,
1: yeah miss miss cavage i think miss cavage that's it
0: yeah Cage yeah, so this dude um yeah i was i was reading about that when I was doing research on this movie that uh uh, she did an interview, I guess, after they were divorced, but said that when it came to intimacy things, that Cruz was like a monk. <laughs> um, and then later, it, like it came out in a book, um, not from her necessarily, but from pe- like apparently people that knew her it came out in this book on Scientology that, yeah, Miscavige, that's what it is. Uh, Miscavige um, apparently like tried to push her on getting the divorce because he already had Nicole Kinman in mind for Cruz. Um, to like, kind of like increases, you know, I guess notoriety and like, you know, like celebrity and stuff like that. Um, even though Rogers was the person that introduced Cruz to Scientology. So we really have Mimi Rogers to thank for that fucking hot mess of the past, you know, 35 years of Tom Cruise and Scientology and all
1: that stuff. Thanks Mimi Rogers. Right. Um, I, uh... An actress, Mimi Rogers.
0: <laughs> All right, so number four on your list is Stuart Gordon's The Pit and the Pendulum. It stars Lance Hendrickson, Jonathan Fuller, Rona Ricci, and Francis Bay. It has a 56% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, a 40% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about this movie and what you have on the list?
1: So this is the second um, previously mentioned Full Moon Entertainment movie um, that we've talked about. Uh, we talked about Puppet Master on the Horror of the 90s list for um, 89. This mm-hmm. is Full Moon, one of their five or six. Um, I'm looking at their list right now. So they had six movies come out this year, and this is by far the best. Um, although, again, I like Transfer Sue, and Subspecies is pretty good as well. Um, it's sort of a really almost in like the Roger Corman-esque like take on Poe's tales um, where it doesn't really directly translate to one specific Poe story. It kind of is like an amalgamation of a few. Um, it's got elements of the pit and the pendulum, but it's also got elements of a uh, sort of Amontillado and uh, some, maybe like some tiny bits from like Lijah, I would say. Um, and just kind of the whole, like, feeling oh my goodness oh pardon me um feeling of gothic horror of like poe uh so the general story is that i need to get some water mm-hmm. oh goodness this is where we would have taken a break in real life but now we're in COVID time so <laughs> so there's a baker and his young bride um and the baker makes um Pies, basically that people can purchase while they're watching the execution of witches. Um, and the setup is basically that the, the Spanish inquisition is occurring and the inquisition is using its power to kind of like sort of like rest money and wealth from um, citizens of Spain under the auspices of like accusing people of blasphemy and witchcraft. Um, and then they take them and they torture them and sort of like force them to admit to being witches so they can murder them um which is like you know pretty historically accurate i think um during the execution of um a falsely accused witch um the baker's like young innocent wife stands up for this child that's being beaten so she gets accused of being a witch and taken into custody um by uh, the head inquisitor uh played by lance hendrickson um he forms a sexual attraction to her um he plays uh, torquemada um forms this like sexual obsession with her um where he's a he's a flagellant so he's hurting himself so he won't like appear to be whatever like kind of like his pen, penance to god but he still is like you know whatever like wants to bone her um so he keeps trying to i guess like put her in situations where he can he can fuck her and it's okay because like god says it's okay but like it keeps not being okay right um she also may or may not have like some tie to witchcraft um as revealed by uh shit what's that actress's name? Frances Bay. Yeah, Francis Bay, Mm -hmm. um, who's also an accused witch. Um, In the meantime, the husband, um, sort of like Errol Flynn-esque, like infiltrates uh, Torquemada's castle, and he gets caught and um, rescues her, and then they get caught again, and then she gets her tongue cut out because Torquemada tries to rape her and doesn't work, and um, she it's sort of like given this potion her rise from the dead or appear dead. And then she comes back and Torquemada is, um, basically dispatched, you know, by the, the ghosts of all the people that he's wronged and, um, dies at the hands of the, the pit in the pit in the pendulum. Um, and the Baker and the woman are reunited again and happily ever after whatever. And she's got telepathy. So even though her tongue's cut out, she can still talk to him. um, I mean it's it's at its core like again it's a very very much a throwback to like the the mid to late 60s um not just the corman poe adaptations but also the whole general um medieval horror elements of that time period um pretty much shot on location in like one set um it's got your uh what you accuse Excalibur of doing, which is like using the same set over and over from different angles. I think it's like, it's like a different set, but it's just really mm-hmm. like three rooms total. I noticed. Um, but really great performances. I mean, probably buoyed by the fact that Gordon is legitimately a good director. Right. Um, but Henriksen is really good in it. Jeffrey Combs is really good in it. Tom mm-hmm. is really good in it. Oliver Reed is good in it, Francis Bay is good in it. I mean, there's a lot of like really good performances here. There's a lot of investment. Mark Mark Maugerless, like one right. of the best performances, yeah. is the the torturer's apprentice, basically, that is like I don't know, like indebted to Torquemada for saving him mm-hmm. basically from being like hanged as a witch and is, you know, yeah. devoted to him and turns on him in the end. Um but yeah, just a lot of uh, a lot of really good atmosphere, um, some surprisingly good dialogue. I think for um, a low budget, you know, almost like no budget movie, um, it really has a very like very classic feeling to it. I think like it really feels like it belongs in a previous era. Sure. Um, aside from like the copious nudity and uh, scenes of like you know pretty pretty graphic violence it's got some neat set pieces to it um like the baker escaping from the rats like when he's underneath the pendulum and um torquemada falling to his death in the the pit of spikes like underneath the pendulum like there's just some some really cool stuff and some really good visuals um francis bay uh eating gunpowder so she explodes when they burn her at the stake which is uh, pretty awesome um but yeah, it's just, it's, it's a really fun, enjoyable movie. Um, not like a classic of cinema or anything, but definitely, you know, for a straight to video, like no budget movie, it, it, it rises well above its standing, you know, from what you would expect. And the other, like when put in comparison with the other, um, a lot of the other direct to video horror releases from this year, it's definitely like a cut above, no pun intended. Yeah, no, I, I
0: I thought this was an enjoyable movie. I really like Tendrickson in it. You're right. I should have probably mentioned him, um Mark Golis, uh who most people I guess know probably from Breaking Bad now more than anything, but it was also a pivotal figure in Oz, you know, 20 years ago. But um yeah, he's he's really good in this. I I forgot all about like, you know, including him um to, to give him credit with uh Yeah, I really enjoyed his performance. I actually thought the two, like, the male and female lead were probably, like, the weakest performances out of the entire thing, like, the young, the couple. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. um, But everything around them was really good. And I was, I found, like, you know, the kind of slight politics of the things going on with the church, you know, and all those kind of things, very interesting. And I liked the kind of psychological, like, stuff with Mata, and, you know, like, how all that kind of, like, that pain and pleasure elements like kind of mix with one another like I I found all that stuff really interesting um in terms of like a horror movie like I get it like it's an adaptation of Poe um one of the like the biggest criticisms probably of this movie is that it's not scary uh like whatsoever for a horror movie um but I still found it pretty when you put it in the context of the history behind this sure I uh, and maybe that's what people miss possibly I don't know. But um. But yeah, I I enjoyed this movie. I thought it was good. I don't really have a lot to say about it, but I... there really
1: isn't much to say. I mean, it's just yeah. legitimately. Uh, I mean, if you've ever seen The Terror or The Mask of Red Death or The Raven, or because uh, I'm I'm a I'm a huge fan of Roger Corman, and particularly like Roger Corman's output through the '60s and '70s, and I love his you know his Vincent Price post stuff. I think that it's it's all like got a lot of heart to it and you can you know because there's just like little things like um Oliver Reed being walled up in like a nod to the Castle of Amontillado to keep him silent about right the fact that Torquemada is just gonna like he feels that he's basically above the Pope and he's just gonna keep doing what he wants to do I mean that's it's a small scene and there's really not much to it and again like not scary but it's just a really good throwback to Poe and it's just a cool little like I don't know almost like like historical footnote, maybe, or something that. I mean, not that that ever really happened, but you know, it's just I don't know. Like, I I like little things like that, and I like the attention that Gordon, like, gives to that stuff, and you know, I think it's just a really cool movie. And I like the fact that Jeffrey Combs, you know, has this like minor role in it, and he's, kind of like the, like he's playing the middle sort of with um, like trying to maintain his own power and not get killed by Torquemada, but still sort of like support the spanish inquisition while kind of like working against the spanish inquisition it's just um a lot of really good small performances in it and yeah
0: yeah i mean i guess we'll have an opportunity probably later in this decade to talk about yes we will Stuart gordon um because i did we talk about him dying last year at all Mm. i don't know if we did because we did from beyond and um reanimator i know like last year um uh but i don't remember us necessarily talking about his death which was like in the middle of the oh yeah no we wouldn't have because that was two years ago that we did the 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 80s stuff so yeah he's died since um the 80s list um
1: that's unfortunate
0: yeah but uh yeah i i I find the guy really interesting because i really like those 80s movies of his um and i like this one well enough but it's like man later in that career um
1: it's it's well, something. I mean, he's he's responsible for let's let's let me look three i like castle freak a lot mm-hmm. um his dagon is low budget but it's really good okay yeah i mean he just he kind of like had his his niche and that's what he did yeah um
0: yeah i mean a lot of it you can see there it's like all the good movies too like um their reanimator um, from beyond is yeah and then this one and then dagon it's like they're it's fascinating with him to me is like they're all adaptations yeah um Um. from other works you know a lot of lovecraft obviously but
1: tell you this too mm-hmm. robot jocks is not a bad movie
0: I just looked at the mm. name and just ignored it. But Right. No, and no, I, I,
1: I think that's like like what your reaction to it would be, but for what it is, like it's definitely definitely better than what you would think it is. I don't know. I mean it's just he was pretty influential, dude, and in like a couple sure. of horror yeah. movies from the eighties, so Yeah.
0: No, yeah. I mean I I like everything that I've whenever seen, I get
1: the chance to put a Stuart Gordon movie on a list i'll put a Stuart gordon movie on the yeah. list
0: yeah definitely an interesting guy um uh i think i like from beyond more the farther i got away from it <clears throat> but. yeah
1: i from beyond is a movie that upon multiple viewings i think you appreciate more hmm. and to your point like like the further like the pers- perspective of distance you get from it and you like start to remember Mm -hmm. certain aspects of anything like yeah that was actually pretty cool like in hindsight
0: yeah because it was like a positive but middling i thought of it at the time um but yeah the more i get away from it the more i like it. and i think i I think i think because i watched this honestly if i'm being honest i watched this movie i watched all these movies like six weeks ago um just because i was trying to get ahead for some work i had for stuff um to get done like recently and um this is a movie that's like I've actually have a better opinion on as time has gone by. Like when I first saw it, it was like, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> like it's good. I mean it's good. It's again positive, but like barely like over the middle. Um, but yeah, the more I've thought about this movie, there's scenes that have stuck with me and I, I actually think I like this movie a lot more. Further, I get away from it as well. Maybe that's all story. Yeah, I kind of felt that way about Reanimator too, I guess, like when I first watched all those years ago. um There's like visuals that stick with you and like scenes that stick with you out of all of his movies. And yeah, that's interesting. But yeah, good movie overall. I like it. Oh, uh, Stuart Gordon. Was his Master of the Horror stuff any good? Do you know?
1: I don't remember. I only liked a couple of because he did, he did a Poe story. Yeah, he did
0: the Black Cat, um, and Dreams in the Witch House. That was
1: good. Okay, that's yeah. a that, that's a Lovecraft story. Yeah, yeah. Um, that one was good. The Coscarelli one was good. Okay, uh, there Same. there were a few that were there that were decent. That, some of them were just too um too on the nose, like politically at the time
0: yeah like anti-abortion or Mm -hmm. pro
1: anti-abortion anti-immigration um commentary basically yeah it was anti-anti-abortion so whatever like pro-choice and pro-immigration commentary framing like you know whatever yeah I, i do remember that yeah i can't remember who did that but um yeah dreams of the witch house is um is one of the better
0: yeah i do remember that now yeah um that one and i remember thinking that um oh the carpenters one i think it was cigarette burns Um, yeah that's that's decent yeah that was all right
1: it's it's a much better idea than i think it is an execution so yeah sure sure all right (laughs)
0: All right. So number three on your list this is another fascinating movie for different reasons uh, is popcorn directed by Mark Harrier. Is jar stars, Jill Scoelan, uh Tom Villar, D Wallace and Derek Reddall. It has a 37% from critics and a 41% from audiences. You want to tell us a little about this movie and why you have it on the list. It's
1: surprising to me that it's so low on like the audience perspective. Um, at its core, this is a pretty traditional slasher movie, so you know we kind of already talked about this with Hyder in the House. but where Hyder in the House tries to take like a really like true to life human look at you know mental illness, this is the opposite where it's like thing happens in the past that causes one character to obsess their whole life, you know with getting revenge, and so this is the night of revenge for this one killer. Um, the event happened to be, and th- th- this is why I love this movie. So there's, there's several things when I was going to start. So mm-hmm. this cult film director made this movie, um, in the sixties, uh, basically where he was going to murder his daughter on film. Um, but he ended up dying instead in a fire in the auditorium. Uh, the daughter escaped and now the daughter is grown. Um, but you don't know that she's a daughter right away. Um, that's the Jill Sholin's character. Um, so in the audience was a kid whose mother was in the cult, and that kid was burned like beyond recognition. Um, and through time and multiple surgeries, has like been able to live, but has always been mocked for his like you know, disfigured appearance and has learned to craft hyper-realistic masks basically um, so he can look like someone else. Uh, so the setup is that both of them are part of this film group at this small college or well, I don't know if it's a small college, but it's like a fledgling film group and they're going to show three movies um, to raise money for their, their club in this um, old like 20s style like opera house style movie theater that's going out of business it's getting ready to get demolished um so they show these three films and over the course of the night while they're showing these films um what's his name bobby or something like that is the disfigured guy Um, Uh, toby toby right toby toby thank you um to while toby's trying to kill um maggie um basically like every and maggie's friends or whatever um you know these movies are like being shown to this unsuspecting audience <clears throat> the slasher elements of this movie are pretty mundane i think um honestly there's stuff like fade to black which is sort of similar in the idea of like like a killer who's obsessed with um horror movies and whatnot um that are that are better movies than this from that perspective I like the practical effects of Toby without his mask on, like the the almost like burned musculature skull face that he has. But the thing that's amazing about this movie is the four movies within a movie that exist. So the experimental film um, that Maggie's like dreams of because, you know, it's like whatever, like burned into her subconscious memory. And then um, Mosquito, uh, The Attack of the Electrified Man. And um fuck, what's the fourth one or the third one? The one that's um I guess like the kaiju one. Um with the uh the smell or whatever, the stench.
0: The Odorama stuff. Odorama, yeah, yeah, where
1: they gotta like put like trash into the vents so it stinks. Right. Um that's like a dubbed Japanese movie. Mm-hmm the care and like thought that are put into these four basically like background set pieces is just amazing. And like, it's a really big ode to things like um like William Castle in particular with like the tingler and the <clears throat> like having the skeleton fly down in house on haunted Hill. And like, I, I love the aesthetic of this movie. I I really feel like it's a true homage to like, the heyday of horror and classic horror um you know under the veneer of like a traditional slasher movie um one of the best um video vhs box arts of all time with um the skeleton kind of holding the masquerade mask of the girl's face and like pulling it away from its face with the Mm -hmm. bucket of popcorn there um written by a guy who i think is super underrated in um alan ormsby uh, who also was responsible for um, uh, writing Bob Clark's and starring in Bob Clark's uh, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. Right. Um, guy who's a kind of a...
0: He also did Deranged, which we've talked about on the podcast.
1: Yeah. Oh. Death Dream, too, which is another really great um, horror movie. Uh, but yeah, just, you know, he did cool. Cat People, too. He helped write Cat mm-hmm. People with uh, Schrader. um again just it's like it's is is it a great movie no but i think there's a lot of love in it and i think that there's a lot of like real reverence for the nostalgia of like what horror means to people and just the idea of like bringing people together and you know in the middle of the night to like be scared and interact with each other and i don't know it's just it's, it's a fun movie and one that i really like i loved a lot when i was young and i really enjoyed watching it again this time
0: yeah, just so you know, um, your internet like dipped for a second and the audio had to catch back up. So for like three sentences, you talked like in the quickest, like it sped up your speech like somebody had you on fast forward and I had to stop myself from laughing because um, I'm really just
1: excited cool. about popcorn. Right, <laughs> right.
0: Just loving some popcorn. Um, Yeah. And like fast talking Frankie Fingers <clears throat> um, yeah this was really interesting a lot of um, like <clears throat> critics agreed with you about the idea that like those films within films were much more interesting than the actual plot of the framing device for the movie um, which is funny that they call it framing device because it shows that they put the focus on those shorts more than they do the actual movie um, but
1: and and I, I have
0: to agree. I thought those things were really well done. I thought that they were um, extremely kind of reverential, and um, and like you say, care was taken into doing those. So I I really enjoyed that. I didn't not enjoy like the framing device. Um, I thought there were some interesting things about it. Like I, as cokey and silly as it is, I do like the idea that he's like learned how to craft these masks um i think that's like an interesting thing that you don't really see very much um let me ask you this question i thought it was really weird in this movie it's such a, like a small thing but i think it's also a big thing um potentially there's a supernatural element late in this movie where the mother shows up at the theater and all the letters drop down yeah, it's weird, and it shows like whatever the I can't remember the name of the um, movie, the possessor, the possessor, and it shows like the possessor is being shown at the theater, and it's like this one weird supernatural thing that happens that, and nobody in the, nobody in this has been shown to have a supernatural, like power at all,
1: like, right? I I don't know. It's it's, I try not to think about it. Like, there's really no answer for it. I could make something up but it's it's ridiculous
0: yeah i here's what i wonder though is like this movie becomes really interesting to me based on what happens later in the decade which is where horror films start getting more
1: meta right agreed
0: so like craven um and his two you know like the friday movie and scream and what i know what you did last summer like all that stuff starts getting meta. these characters don't know the tropes like the characters no. do later in the decade, but the idea that it's like the horror within horror, like, and I, it made me wonder even if that supernatural element isn't like, also just like the the, the films within films type thing where it's this like little wink and a nod to the idea of like, this is just something that happens, like in horror movies even. Um, like the whole thing's tongue in cheek to some degree. It's like the the the, the premise is kind of, ridiculous um it gets more ridiculous as it goes on but uh it's like the premise itself is kind of ridiculous so i don't think it's making
1: fun of horror movies no it's 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 a loving homage to horror
0: but i think even like that framing device like the core story
1: i mean still it's basically kind of, phantom but it's, it's phantom of the opera you know right, like right it's, right it's phantom of the opera mixed with like i don't know some like weird like pseudo snuff film from the 70s you know what i mean it's just yeah. it's taking every aspect of horror and like blending them into one and it's just like yeah. trying to pay homage to that
0: yeah and that's what tv guide said about the movie is like there was a lot of good ideas and there were too many good ideas <laughs> um
1: <Sure>. yeah <clears throat> and, i mean i don't disagree with that
0: and 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 i thought that was pretty pretty on point um but I, yeah, I, I agree. I think that's what it's trying to do. So it really is one of the first exam- examples to me, at least in this decade so far, what we talked about is this kind of like meta examination of film, um, you know, spanning decades for this particular movie. But um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting sign, I think, of things to come as people begin, begin to understand the tropes more and the filmmakers have to react to the audience understanding the tropes sure um so i thought it was really interesting for in that regard too um i forgot actually this is so terrible of me i'm a terrible researcher um i forgot do i know tom billard from anything
1: oh yeah from a bunch of shit do i yeah yeah uh he's I mean, dead now so
0: oh one crazy summer that's where i know him from yep yeah yeah
1: i'm from a bunch of other stuff too though i don't know about that um uh... I know him from a bunch of other stuff. Uh, I was gonna say,
0: uh huh, yeah, yeah, you
1: did.
0: Uh, <laughs> what the? F- there's just the movie just called horror.
1: <laughs> Maybe that'll make a list someday. Okay.
0: Yeah, 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 I don't know.
1: Oh, he- Oh, duh, yeah. Ken Russell, I've I've seen this movie.
0: Play two different characters, uh damn, eight years apart on no six years apart on Golden Golden Girls. Damn, that's pretty impressive. I guess they just figured, like, you know, there's golden girl fans after six years, they just won't recognize the same fucking dude.
1: Yeah, I, I know cases. him from one
0: crazy summer. That's what I know him from. So we can move past that. Um, but uh what do you think about scolian in this as the female lead? She's fine. Yeah.
1: Mm. she's pretty nondescript
0: yeah yeah i like i i looked her up and i was like who who is this girl and why is she in this movie like um and i looked her up and it was like oh she's the girl from the stepfather and i was like she's the girl from the stepfather like she was so she's like that just blah to me that i um yeah, I thought that she was like the weakest part, like of the movie overall. Um,
1: I think she's supposed to seem like almost like mesmerized or hypnotized the whole time, like yeah. almost sort of like waking from a dream. But I don't know if it ever hits that mark. Right. <clears throat>
0: yeah, I just think her delivery is just like really
1: schlocky. Like, yeah, the, Villard is much better as the villain, and um, mm-hmm. whatever the dude who plays her boyfriend is also. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. shit. oh, you know, I forgot to fucking mention her because my boo. Hold on, I gotta look up her name now. <laughs> um Kelly Joe Minter, <clears throat> who we're gonna talk about in uh two two movies from now. Okay. Um playing uh Cheryl, like the um downtown Julie Brown esque like oh, wise cracking yeah. black huh. lady. Yeah.
0: That's crazy. I didn't even whoa that's that's wild i didn't even like put those two things together
1: yeah because um, it's, it's 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 pretty different like
0: yeah yep, yeah. yeah that's why
1: yeah, i thought that was interesting when i was watching popcorn i was like holy shit yeah like, i can't believe that, that that she's in this but yeah, yeah.
0: I, I didn't even put that together of course the copy that i saw of popcorn because it's only on youtube right now um was just so kind of grainy and old that um i might not have been able to see that but yeah. Oh, she was in Lost Boys too. I yeah, I knew that character. Okay. Oh, and she right summer school. There's a movie that you know we'll never talk about in this podcast unless I force you to someday.
1: Movies that I may or may not have shamefully masturbated to.
0: <laughs> is it because of Kelly Joe Mentor or is it because of Courtney um Thorn Smith or whatever her name is?
1: Who knows? Girls' school. Quirkies. Gotcha. Ski school.
0: It was written which was written by Alan Ornsby, right? Yeah. yeah. Um <clears throat> you know he was uh he originally was started directing this movie and then like they pulled him off for some reason or another and crazy, I think. <laughs> yeah?
1: I think so. Yeah. yeah.
0: That one surprised me. But yeah, this is a really interesting movie, and I think that um This is one of those ones where it's like, even though I'm kind of like mixed on it for a number of different reasons, it's like, you know more about horror than I do, but it's like, to me, it's like horror fans should watch this. Like, they like need to watch it almost, like just almost like for the meta commentary, like in it, like in those like shorts and stuff like that. And like for historical reasons to me, almost it seems.
1: I mean, I I think that if you love horror, I think it's a movie that you'll enjoy watching.
0: All right, so moving on to number two on your list is Cast a Deadly Spell, directed by Martin Campbell. It stars Fred Ward, David Warner, Julianne Moore, Clancy Brown, and a number of other um, well-known B or C actors. Um, It also does not have a score available from critics on Rotten Tomatoes. It has a 58% from critics, or sorry, uh, from audience. Um, This is an interesting movie also for a number of reasons so you want to tell us a little bit about the uh, concept of this movie and uh, why you have it the list
1: uh so it's set in an alternate universe where hp lovecraft is a private detective um in a world where magic exists and he's the only person that doesn't use magic um and he plays your your typical like world weary sam spade-esque um probably actually more akin to eddie valiant Really, and uh, Roger Rabbit, than and Sam Spade,
0: Philip Marlowe.
1: Yeah, um, use Philip? You know, a uh, failed detective, a guy with like a checkered past in terms of like his maybe like, um, I don't know, like extra legal activities in terms of like you know being a, a PI. Um, he gets hired by David Warner to recover the Necronomicon. Um and unravels this pretty uh pretty I don't know complex isn't the right word but like this um plot to bring about the end of the world by calling um Yog Sothoth down um that David Warner and uh, Clancy Brown are involved in um it's I mean I, honestly like this movie completely caught me off guard when I saw it in the early nineties on HBO. Um, I was really like amazed by it. Um, number one, cause I was, that's when I was like first getting into Lovecraft. So I was like really into the, like his writings on like Cthulhu and Dagon and Yogg-Sothoth and Yarlatep or whatever. <clears throat> um, but just the idea of like this really perfectly crafted noir with this backdrop of voodoo and great old ones and, um, you know, like minor, like, like witchcraft and body changing and stuff. But there's just so many like awesome little touches to it where they invest magic in the world in a way that's completely believable with a suspension of disbelief, um, but still like seems magical. And I think that's because they use like the lens of Lovecraft who's complete, like anti magic, um, to tell the story, but um, yeah, just some really great performances. Um, again, I think it's a pretty ingenious conceit that Lovecraft is like this, this private dick that like operates in Los Angeles and just kind of like works on the underbelly of like good society, like solving these small crimes and stuff, but is still considered to be like the best, you know, detective really, like that anybody whenever anyone wants something solved they get lovecraft to solve it and he does it without any trickery or anything um clancy brown is amazing in this movie is like the main villain um david warner is just david warner like i always love david warner no matter what
0: you do love some david warner i yeah, really do just real quick david warner is going to break the record for a number of appearances on the podcast by the end of this uh oh my year. god
1: i'm sure yeah
0: I just looked that up just now. Like I'm sitting there counting while you're talking because it's like David Warner's going to break the record. So go ahead. You love David Warner.
1: I do love David Warner. David Warner is like... I mean, you can have your Vincent Price and your Peter Cushing and all them, and I love those dudes, but David Warner to me is the best British character actor portraying a slightly effete, haughty, imperialistic fucking asshole villain. Like, I love Warner in those roles. Um, but anyway, so it's just some really great performances. Julianne Moore is really good in it. And this is, like, pretty much at the start of her career, I guess. Or, like, super early on in it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, the some of the special effects are cheesy. And I get that, like, you know, watching it today, it's, it's a little difficult to take because it really, like, is super fake. But that also gives us some charm, I think, especially because it's set in, you know, the 1940s or whatever. Um, but yeah, just a really fun movie. Like I really enjoyed it. I love the whole setting of it. I love the I, I think it's got some amazing bits of dialogue. And I think that um Fred Ward's Lovecraft is written like it the the interactions between him and Clancy Brown are so friggin' like top notch. And like the weird yeah. like femme fatale, you know, aspect of this sixteen year old virgin that yeah. he's talking to. Like there's just some really great like scenes and exchanges between them.
0: Yeah, there's a sure. uh, there's some really good stuff with the uh, gargoyle too. I love that scene. Yeah, um, because like that scene has a couple comedic lines in it, like purposefully comedical. like uh, like a comic, like uh, with the gargoyle, like talking and stuff like that. Like and um, but it what it, like normally that it feels like it might be like make be making it a horror comedy almost but what it is is the damn dialogue in that movie walks such a tight rope between the noir telling the story being a noir but also not taking itself seriously that even those kind of comedic lines don't push it over the edge because it walks that it walks the rope that well um and I don't know if that makes any sense um but it does a really excellent job of walking that line throughout trying to blend these genres together.
1: I mean, it's like the golden child would do. Yeah. Yep. Like very similar. It's, it's more horror fantasy than it is like horror. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe not even horror at all. I don't know, but it's, it's, it's definitely like, has. you're right, it has that very, it very deftly combines like four genres at once and does it in a way that's like entertaining and watchable and, um you know i think like transcends any for any one of those four genres so mm-hmm. uh,
0: completely unique um fred ward is perfect as the sam spade philip marlowe like-esque you know detective in this right. like he's really good um and i would have never i mean it makes sense in hindsight but i never would have thought like hey fred ward should do a pi character but um That's um, but yeah, it's that's really good. Julianne Moore actually, because she was on As the World Turns, um, in the eighties. She's only done one movie before this, which is um, uh, oh damn it, what is the? It's not Twilight Zone. Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, um, was her first movie, and this is her like technically her second movie. Uh, this gets listed under television i think when you look it up because i think it was actually shown in like four pieces or something like that like on hbo like initially before they combined it into a movie um but so yeah this is like technically her second movie which is crazy because she's pretty good in it i mean um um considering the size of her role but yeah this is clancy brown i always love clancy brown in, like everything um uh so he's really good. But I, I think that, uh, yeah, it's just well cast actors in a script that is so well written, especially from the noir, the noir aspect. Like the hard boiled dialogue in this is really well done and done in a believable way to where it doesn't feel um, as clunky sometimes as some of that 40s dialogue was. It's like these are people that studied the right people back in the 40s and know how to deliver this dialogue in a realistic and. Um, uh uh effective way so yeah i thought all that was good and um the direction's fine like you know i mean it's it's competent yeah right it's competent. um and yeah i just love the story of it like you know it's like this like little it's like you think about like you know all these private eye things right like you know the famous ones so it's like okay you got the maltese falcon right and the maltese falcon is this like thing that's worth a lot of money like you know that comes from fucking like Templars and shit like that like um has like this long history um and then it's like chinatown okay like dude's trying to like take over like you know the water like the you know the, the water basically in california right like it's mm-hmm. like he's trying to grow his fortune it's like the idea that it's like ramped up in this movie to the idea that they're trying to raise the old ones to end the world um you're right it's very much like golden child in some ways like you know um I, so yeah yeah. Which brother
1: Noomsey just happens to be david <laughs> warner
0: right right
1: uh, <clears throat> and another brilliant
0: british actor there charles dance um so yeah i i never thought about like that comparison before but yeah i really like this movie i mean of course because of the noir stuff but um
1: i actually i really struggled with this and the number one movie as to which one was my number one because i i think i i definitely like i definitely have more of a nostalgic connection to the number one movie and i honestly think it's a better movie overall but it's just cast deadly spell is so unique and so mm-hmm. like bold and just its its approach to like the story and it has a sequel that has like none of the same actors in it really um with yeah. dennis hopper taking over the lovecraft role um have you I seen that remember. by any chance? Yeah, I, I have. I can't remember yeah. what it's called. It's, Witch, um, which
0: it's called Witch Hunt. I, Witch I, it's, Hunt not, right. it's not anywhere to like watch Even HBO. It's
1: more it's more set in the um Red Scare mm-hmm. uh, McCarthyism as like the, the big bad. Right. Um Hopper I don't think is as good as Fred Ward mm-hmm. because Hopper's just always gonna be Hopper. It's like sure. Fred Ward, you know, whatever. Like he just becomes that character and Dennis Hopper's just always Dennis Hopper. But um But it's still fine like it's it's still a decent movie and a good take it's just it's again it's a little too on the nose in terms of its critique of McCarthyism as opposed to um Mm -hmm. just telling a good story and not really worrying about like the political you know yeah I mean because really that's what like you know it is Chinatown or LA Confidential is Mm -hmm. what Casadilly's spell is um but you know they're not building the freeway they're raising the great old ones to just yeah. right right
0: yeah but you know what i thought that the political aspect of the this movie particularly like um was subtle enough through the nature of how the world works right that it was still there they just didn't focus on it that much sure. but the idea of using and notice that a lot of the zombies that they were using as cheap labor were black people you know right. i mean um uh So, yeah, I mean, like, I I thought that there was just enough still, like, kind of social and political commentary in this that it kind of still kind of hit at those kind of capitalist, you know, pigs and all those kind of things, you know, uh, without, like, necessarily, like, making that the whole purpose of, you know, the movie or whatever. Um, Because, like you said, yeah, that's already been done. Like, you know, Chinatown does that so well that how are you ever going to do it better
1: to some degree? Um, The future, Mr. Peter exactly um, yeah all
0: right yeah i really want to watch that witch hunt movie um but yeah it's not anything plus uh angelo battlementi uh scored it uh which i find interesting too that witch hunt movie but uh, why hbo doesn't have that up but they have up cast the deadly spell i have no idea but
1: it's weird maybe it's something with rights or something Or could be yeah yeah i couldn't really find a
0: um clear explanation on that uh I did find one more thing interesting about this movie is that Gail Um Ann Hurd uh cast it. Um and uh I don't know if you know that recognize that name, but she like cast all like a lot of the major like uh uh oh damn it. Like she ended up becoming like big like in terms of um uh casting movies. I'm trying to think of what it was that she ended up casting. It's like a lot of the HBO stuff and stuff like that, I think.
1: Like The Wire and shit? I think so.
0: Well, I don't know about that one, secretly. But um, she was big into production, though. Like, she's associated with Cameron, I know, because I think she was married to him. Yeah, she was one of Cameron's first wives. Uh, she was also married to Brian De Palma for a while. Um, but she was she's a big EP in Hollywood. Um, and she was, like, involved in this whole production here.
1: Yeah, Jermaine um, two.
0: Yeah, yeah the abyss yeah tremors which is, where the, which is probably where the war thing comes from honestly
1: um yeah the walking dead fear the walking dead yeah um, yeah that's some kind of a some kind of resume there
0: <laughs> yeah but uh yeah, i thought that was interesting too because it's like for such a low budget thing really this movie like i thought it was really interesting that she was attached to it c- considering she has such blockbusters at times early and around this time all right so number one on your list i see i see i see why you say that about like between one and two here like difficulty number one on your list is probably the most well known out of all these movies which is the people under the stairs directed by wes craven Stars Brandon Quinton Adams, Everett McGill, Wendy Roby, Sean Whalen, Ving Rames, and your girl, I'm um, sorry, I didn't include her name, Is Kelly Jo Minner. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Um, has a 68% from critics and a 58% from audiences. Uh, so audiences feel the same way, 58% for both one and two here. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this movie and why it's number one on your list?
1: Um, so Fool is a 13-year-old um, young black man living in the the ghetto. Um, his mother has cancer. Uh, his family's about to be evicted from their apartment. Um, so career, um, I guess housebreaker played by Ving Rhames who happens to be like dating his sister kind of offers him the opportunity to basically steal rich stuff from the landlords that own all their property and save them from being evicted so he agrees um they break into the house that turns out to be uh basically like one giant like prison slash death trap um <laughs> like owned by uh mommy and daddy uh played by um big ed and uh uh oh shit what's her name on twin peaks big ed and um fuck nor uh nadine nor N- nadine Um, who happen to also be brother and sister Uh, they're slum lords that have basically like owned the ghettos forever and are slowly like gentrifying the ghettos by selling um, tenement houses and putting up condos in their place Um, they also have been kidnapping children from the community for decades and trying to raise the perfect boy and the perfect girl Mm -hmm. um, with the rejects having like the offending parts of the hear new evil see new evil speak no evil cut off of them and they get thrown down into the basement where they basically become like um like morlocks almost uh, these cannibalistic like night dwellers sort of like they live mm-hmm. under the stairs um so full manages to elude them uh makes friends with um alice who's a girl that they've have captured and imprisoned and also roach who's a um People under the stair that escaped, uh, lost his tongue, but sort of like lives in the walls, causing trouble for daddy mostly. Um, Ultimately, in the end, full like, you know, is able to overcome the adversity and um, him and Alice like kill both the parents and they blow up the house and he saves the day by getting his mother surgery and saving the tenement and then cash like rains down on the people of the neighborhood that they can um, take the take back their ill-gotten gains of the um, Hubers or whatever I can't remember Hobarts whatever the name right yeah Ro- Ro- Robeson Robeson the Robesons um, number one one of the best sets I think of any horror movie ever in the mm-hmm. ex funeral mm-hmm. parlor turned like manor house. Of this deranged couple that has, like, these crazy, like, basically, like, rooms within rooms behind the walls that, you know, people live in and traps and, right. um, completely unhinged performance, um, by Big Ed and Nadine, uh, Everett right. McGee, yeah. um, his mommy and daddy, um, really pretty clear, uh, Attacks on the religious right and Reaganism and um, trickle down economics and um, affirmative action and racial standards and the war on drugs. I and mean, there's so many things that yeah. are just like that Craven is obviously just like set his mark on and just like one at a time. We're like, trying to <laughs> take shots at him that it almost doesn't even work as like social commentary because it's such a bald faced social commentary. Right. Yeah. Um, but really well-filmed, uh, really great performances. Um, some good humor, some really good action sequences, some good horror. Um, it's got a decent amount of, like, nice gore to it without being, like, over the top. Um, I think it's got a pretty interesting story in the terms of, like, the hood basically rising back up against their landlords and taking their property back. Mm-hmm. Um, just one of my favorite movies of the 90s in general and definitely one of my favorite horror movies of the 90s um i've horror movie of the 90s for me what's that probably one of the top five horror movies of the 90s for me maybe even top three Hmm. that's interesting um how long is this movie uh 90 minutes maybe is that it It is 102 minutes. Okay. All
0: right. The only thing upon rewatching this, and I guess I've probably seen this. This is the third time I've seen it in my life. I saw this in the theater, um, which is uh, odd for me to see a horror movie in the theater, honestly. But I, I saw this in the theater. It was kind of like a, and, and I saw it with Larry, like my father. Um, and it was one of those like rare movies that like, we just decided to go. And I don't even know why. And we want to go see this. And um, I remember he really liked it. And I really liked it a lot. And I saw it again at some point in the 90s. And really liked it. And I really liked it again this time. I feel like the last maybe like 20 minutes. It doesn't fall apart. But it feels like it's falling apart. Before it kind of like crescendos into an ending that is suitable. <laughs> um, it's it's
1: it's harder to watch when Fool goes back to the house. I Yes. Think. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're right. There's that that twenty minute period when he goes back where it's like, oh my God, like what are you even doing here? Yeah. Um that makes it a little less not a little less believable, but just like it it, it does it, it slows the movie down a little too much at that point. It, yeah, um, and that's
0: the problem, it's not that it's it's like that's the hero's moment, um for fool is like making that decision where he could not go back and he chooses to go back and kind of basically free the underclass, um, you know, so that they can rise up against their, you know, um, oppressors and destroy them. But so like, it is needed, I think, but you're right. It it slows it down like to me or something like that. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the performances here with, uh, McGill and Roby are, um, uh, are certainly um just over the top in the best ways possible i i absolutely love these performances and uh just how like sick and twisted like that relationship is is so good um when i was 11 how giddy
1: giddy they are about their um like their murder and their uh like sadism right they're gonna kill you <laughs> right yeah ever mcgill
0: is just yeah that, that that suits perfect for this role I'm um, saying she is too but ever mcgill is just like so good um i really like I, I the most memorable thing i think probably one of the most memorable things in this movie i think is uh uh is roach um yeah like uh, sean whalen's performance as roach um and particularly that first time you see him, like, in the little girl's room and, like, you realize he can't talk and he shows his tongue and, like, how it's been cut out and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, yeah, like, this this is the movie that stuck with me, like, since, for whatever, since 1991, I guess, um, when I saw it. And, like, even though I only saw it once before, uh, one more time before this, it's like, I've remembered everything about this movie like pretty much like it's burned it was burned in my memory like that much and i don't know if that's the power of being in the theater or what it is um
1: it's probably part of it but also probably your age and seeing it in the theater yeah
0: yeah i don't know who this girl is in the movie um what was the
1: The girl that plays alice
0: yeah um, this is going to sound creepy as a 40 year old, but um, when I was 11, I, I remember like having like a crush on
1: her. Um, does she ever do anything? She's else Rayanne anything? in my so-called life. Uh, oh, huh, okay. Yeah. Apparently she married the 14th, the 19th Earl of Devon in 2004.
0: <laughs> Sounds like a subplot you would see on Kimmy Schmidt or something like that. It really does. Um, <laughs> like, But uh, that's interesting. Uh, but, well, my, my 11-year-old self um, gets it for the 14th Earl of Devon or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I remember, like, having a crush on that girl, like, when I was, like, that young. But uh, maybe I did see more of them. Than... Anyway, 18th Earl of Devon. That's really funny. 19th. Uh,
1: 19th. Oh, uh, hold on.
0: Oh, no. See, I see. The son of the 18th Earl of
1: Devon. Gotcha. All right. She's the mother now to Lady Jocelyn Courtenay and Jack Courtenay, Lord of Courtenay. <laughs> Jack Hayden Langer Courtenay. <laughs> There's so many names she's only, there. Uh, only two years older than us.
0: Yeah. Well, no, she's only
1: two years older than you. Everyone's my age, Chris. <laughs> um. But yeah
0: is six years older than me um <clears throat> but yeah no this is this is a movie that still holds up i think to today how do you feel about um uh, uh jordan peele remaking this i'm fine with that if yeah. anyone's
1: going to do it he's he's okay to do it yeah yeah not being arrested I, I i i made. feel i feel like it would be a fresh enough take that I would be interested to see what that take is. And Mm -hmm. I, he hasn't let me down yet from a horror perspective. So like, I'm cool. Let's bring it on. Yeah. All right. So
0: um, that's the list this week. Again, all good movies. I think all worth watching. If absolutely worth watching if you're a horror fan. Um,
1: So let's talk about something real quick. Okay. Is this the shortest podcast we've done in years of like a full podcast?
0: um i can't see how long we've actually been on um but i don't i think we start no i don't think so i, I mean i think this is i think we started like 10 of right i mean, I mean this is this is this is behind the scenes here like but it's like yeah i think we started at like eight fifty or something like that i think we just started early because like you we you texted me at 8 30 exactly for right. 20 minutes talking i think we started like 10 of so yeah that might be true so I think it's still going to end up being like an hour and 25 hour 30. I mean which it is feels short like it, uh, for us but um.
1: Right. It feels like it went at a brisk clip. It did.
0: Um, I think we were both well prepared for this podcast is what it was. I had all my notes like written down. Get my shit in. <laughs> um, just let you go ahead and talk without trying to interrupt too much.
1: Mm. <laughs> um even when i'm talking at three times speed Oh, well, maybe
0: yeah right well that 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 took a few seconds off the podcast is so right so, and i know and is, that's is all the viewers the like listening to like you talk real fast no, 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 no. <laughs> all right so that's uh this week we will be back next week with the uh top five uh movies story of a day top 5 movies that take place in a single day whatever the hell it ends up getting titled um i'll put both titles on just to satisfy frank maybe um and uh we'll be back with that and then the week after that we will be back with the next top 5 compelling female performances um protagonists and Uh, Then we'll be back later next month with uh, the top five horror movies of 1992. So that's what we have coming up for next month. Thank everybody for listening tonight and have a good week. Have a great night. Deuces.